Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. What if you were one decision away from fixing everything? Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. First time listener? I'm glad you're here. Visit the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. It's a very big question, and I may have misworded it. Well, the last part at least. Maybe it's not about fixing everything. Maybe it's about making a big change, a big enough change, the one change that you most want to make, the one that you most need to make. Yeah, you know me. I decided to go as big as I could with it, though. That's why I said, what if you were one decision away from fixing everything? It is Wednesday, December the 8th, 2021, as I hit the record button. I'm not sure if this will be the last episode of the year or not. We'll just see how, see how the rest of the month unfolds. I like big questions. I like big, challenging questions. And unlike a number of people, I enjoy asking them, but I have more fun trying to answer them. And of course, the question today, what if you were one decision away from fixing everything? It's kind of an oddly worded question, and I get it, and I I did that intentionally. It's not a yes or no. You can go with it any direction that you want to. And it is that prototypical what if kind of a question. It's the stuff of spreadsheet work, you know, where you plug in, hey, what if our sales went up this much? What if our income went up this much? We love all the what ifing. Hey, I hope everything is well with you and yours. I'm somewhat obsessed with growth, improvement, and transformation, mostly my own, because, well, it's easy to be obsessed with that when you have so much work to do, just so much room for improvement. And that is not a humble brag. It's just reality. But I also know that I am not alone because all of us have room for growth and improvement and transformation. And I'm constantly pushing and pressing Rhonda, my wife tells me pretty regularly that my expectations are quite often too high. And she's not talking about my expectations for myself. She's talking about my expectations about situations and circumstances and even my expectations perhaps uh, for others. But I don't know. It's, It's a curse. Or is it? I don't know. I don't view it as a curse. I've, it, it's optimism is what it is. 
people don't often see it exactly for that, but that is what it is. It is an optimistic view that things can be better, that things will be better, that there certainly are forces that we can marshal that will improve things. Doesn't mean that we're in control because we aren't not of everything, but I've learned this over the course of my 64 years on the planet. We're in control of a whole lot more than we sometimes want to think we are. I live in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. I'm an avid OU Sooner fan. I was traveling back home from a Thanksgiving trip. Rhonda and I both were when I'm driving and she is scrolling social media and she says reports are head football coach Lincoln Riley might be leaving Norman to head to the university of Southern Cal. And I'm like, that ain't going to happen. I mean, Riley's been a fixture in Norman for seven years or so. Five of those as a head coach. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, why would he do that? That, in fact, I said that to her. That makes no sense at all. Why, why would he do that? As we traveled on down the road, done deal. Done deal. He's done. He, he's leaving Norman. He's going to USC. Well, all kind of mayhem ensued in Soonerland and in USC land, I would suppose. I'm a Sooner fan. Well, a few days later, Brian Kelly leaves South Bend, Indiana, and Notre Dame to become the head honcho at Baton Rouge at LSU. I didn't go to OU. I did go to LSU, but I'm an OU fan because, hey, I was born in Oklahoma. Well, all kinds of mayhem ensued with that decision. And so we're now a little bit past we're, – we're – about a week and a half away, but a, a week passed as all of us in Sooner Nation anxiously waited to see who's, who's going to be the next football coach. What's this decision going to be? I mean, this is one big decision. This is one big decision that's going to change everything because one big decision had been made by the prior head coach to walk away. Uh, now, in the meanwhile, we are all very pleased that Former coach Bob Stoops, who just last night was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, something reserved for coaches that have retired. They made an exception, even though he's the interim coach, because OU announced Bob, big, big bang Bob's going to be the interim coach. He is willing to take this team to play Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. And oh, by the way, Oregon's coach, he left went back home to Miami to become the coach at the University of Miami. So you've got the Alamo Bowl, the poor Alamo Bowl in San Antonio. OU's going to be coached by an interim coach who at least has been their head coach back in another era, Bob Stoops. Oregon. Yeah, Oregon, they got, a, they got an interim coach as well. All kinds of players, you know, opting out, going to the league or going to try to play in the league, the National Football League, that would be. Other players who are jumping into the transfer portal. I mean, it's just, I love college football so much, but this is an absolute train wreck. But that's 
a subject for a different day. So this past Saturday evening, I'm recording this on Wednesday, December the 8th. So whatever Saturday was this past Saturday, that was the Saturday with all the conference championship games. And after the conference championship games, news began to spread really fast that Brent Venables defensive coordinator for Clemson for the past decade and a previous member of Bob Stoops coaching staff. He's coming back to Norman. We're getting the band back together, boys. Uh, he's going to come back and he's going to be the next OU football coach. And frankly, just about every fan suspected that that was what was going to happen. The minute Lincoln Riley fled Norman, many of us, maybe even most of us suspected we'll Brent Venables is, is going to be the guy, probably going to be the guy. Turns out he was. All of this mayhem on all of this chaos in college football, I'm, I'm bringing it up because of the subject of today's show. What if you were one decision away from fixing everything? I could just as easily, I could spin it on its pessimistic head and say, well, what if you were one decision away from wrecking everything? Time will tell. I'm not Lincoln Riley. Number one, I'm not. What is he? 38 is even that old. He may not even be that old. He's a young guy. He's a young guy and he's got some kids and a young wife. (laughs) The Norman radio stations are referring to him as mule shoe because that's where he's from. Mule shoe, Texas. He who shall not be named. It's funny. And social media says, oh, look at, look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is so petty. Some legislator, some legislator submitted a bill, I guess, yesterday or day before sometime this week for the last, like the last three feet or something of, a, of, of, of highway that leads out of Oklahoma for that to be named after Lincoln Riley. <laughs> And the legislator, he, he's willing to pay for the sign. And other people said, look how petty OU is. No, it's not how petty OU or Oklahoma is. It's just kind of how snarky and how a sense of humor it is. I don't know about other people, but I'm like, okay, Lincoln Riley, he, he was always close, right? He was always close, but he wanted to go to USC to fulfill. He could just, he could just chase things there that he couldn't chase at OU. I mean, it's like he has accomplished everything. The guy doesn't have a national title yet. Oh, but I love college football, the drama of it. So, and, and it's just the power of a, of a decision, the decision of, of Brian Kelly to leave Notre Dame and the opportunity that that affords. And I'm really impressed with, and his, his name escapes me, but, but the coach that Notre Dame named to be their coach and boy, the players that video, if you haven't watched that, I need to find that video and embed it in the show notes. I mean, when I think it was the strength and conditioning coach introduces him back to the team and, and Notre Dame to their credit, man, they acted quickly. Now they were able to act quickly because they elevated a person who was already on their staff. I, you know, a single decision, a single decision that not only changes a man and his family's lives, but changes a fan basis, (laughs) changes what they think is their life. 
But then you think about staffers, you think about other members of the coaching staff and you think about the support staff and you think about all the jobs attached to a single head coach because of the nature and the scope and scale of college football. And yeah, it's, it, it, it really was not lost on me. What if you're one decision away from wrecking everything, not perhaps in your life, but in the lives of other people. And you, you might be one decision away from fixing everything. You certainly could be one decision away from fixing everything. And maybe we think, well, these have got to be monumental decisions. I don't know how many of those kinds of decisions, a high end, let's take the top tier level of college football coaches over the course of their career. How many of those decisions do you think, do you think they make? I haven't researched this. I mean, it's not all that many, even if it's a handful, it's still not that many. And I rather suspect that that's probably pretty typical for all of us, right? And sometimes we can see it for the bigness that it is in real time. And other times we can't may not have seemed like that big of a decision at the time, but we look back in retrospect and we're thinking, you know, had I made a different choice right there, that, that would have completely changed everything in my world. And we probably are right. Scary, huh? Listen, we're, we're, this is not easy stuff. This is oftentimes highly uncomfortable stuff. This stuff of growth and self-improvement and trying to get better. But man, is it so worth it? The pressure to improve is certainly more attractive to some people than it is to others. There, there are some people I have encountered some, I no doubt you have too, just not that interested. You know, just not that interested in improving themselves, just not that interested in improving their situation, just not that hopeful, just not that whatever, not that driven to do much about anything, but to just kind of be there, to just exist. I wrote down a statement in a notebook. I'm putting it in bold font in the show notes for today's episode which by the way, you can find by going to leaning toward Here's what I wrote down in my notebook. You're not all right as you are now, boy, does that sound pessimistic? I mean, does that sound like, man, talk about being harshly critical. I didn't mean it that way. And that's not, that wasn't the context when I wrote it in my notebook, you're not all right as you are. I wrote it in the context of meaning don't be complacent. Don't just accept however you are. And I was talking to myself. I'm still talking to myself to not just accept the status quo and say, well, this is it. This is, this is as good as I'm going to be. This is as good as I can get. I've got a partner in a podcast, hot springs village inside out. You can find it by going to hot springs village inside out.com. If you're interested. And we are about 190 days into that show. And when I began that show and I asked him to be my co-host, which was colossally the right decision, by the way, talk about one decision. It's really fun 
when you get a decision right, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it feel just superb? And I got the, I got a decision right, and I knew I got it right because I did my due diligence. I may look like an idiot. Sometimes I may even sound like an idiot, but I'm not quite an idiot. Okay, I can be sometimes. I researched. I paid attention. I thought long and hard about this. And so when I invited him, I was dead solid certain I got the right guy. But now begins, you know, the quest of the partnership and how are we going to make this work and what do we want this show to be? And, and it was strictly a hobby project. It's how it began. It's kind of morphing into something way more than that now, which is great. But I was really critical at the front end. You know, this is, I, I had a real clear vision in my head of how I wanted it to go and it wasn't going that way. And I was really, I don't know. I kind of get, I'm not a diva, but you kind of want what you want, right? And and especially if you've been thinking about something for a long, long time. And here, here I just hit, hit the light. Did you hear that? Sounds like a Taco Bell thing. I've got one of these, I don't know, what do they call a scissor arm, kind of a light. You've seen these on drafting tables and stuff. And I love those kinds of lights, but occasionally I get animated in here, start waving my arms around and. When you hit it, see if you can hear this. Yeah, you can hear that. Um, so that was the sound you heard. And if you didn't hear it, well, I explained it for nothing. Where was I? Uh, hello, operator. Would you trace this call and tell me where I am? So I got, I've got. i been thinking about this, right? I've been thinking about this podcast for months and months and months, and, and I've been planning this thing in my head and even making a few notes. And so I jump on a call, and I invite this person that doesn't know me very well and i don't know them very well i know them better than they know me because i've been looking i've been paying attention to their digital footprint and kind of figuring out how they roll and who they are and i've got i've got this idea in, head, in my head and i'm wanting to find out in this first zoom call um is he what i think he is and it's clear to me of course he is and so i make the invite well i've, I've had all this time to think about it and he hasn't you know, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like a group of uh, a group of guys who are in a band, who form a band, and they've been writing these songs and they've been playing these songs and they've been in the garage and they've been playing wherever they could play, right? And and now it's time to record. They get a chance to record, and they've got these people that come into their life, and these people don't have a clue. They, these people don't have their history. They haven't lived with these guys. They don't know these guys all that well. And and these songs really matter to these guys. And the way that they're done really matters. And they've got really distinct ideas about the way they want it done. And, you know, now you've got business people that are coming in trying to interject. And it's why you read of all these famous stories of artists who have this tug-of-war relationship with a record company. I get it. You know, as much as a guy like me can get it. I've experienced this at, at this little bitty podcast kind of a level. You know, you're not all right as you are. I, I don't want to be satisfied. I don't want to think, check this box. We've arrived. This is as good as we're ever going to be. I'm just, I'm always thinking, no, we can do this better. We can do this better. And I, I realize that that can drive some people crazy. And while I profess to be somewhat of an optimist, I, I realize that that can have a pessimistic sound to it. And I'm not pessimistic. 
I think you can be really good right where you're at, but does that mean that you've got no room for improvement? That just sounds waste, waste, just too arrogant for me. There's just no humility in that perspective. And that really is counter to how I roll. I don't feel like I'm all right as I am. I feel like I can be better. I feel like you can be better. I don't know how good you are right now, but however good you are, can you not be better? Doesn't mean we berate ourselves. Doesn't mean that we discount our value or our worth. It just means that we've still got work to do today. And then tomorrow we can get up with some hope and optimism tomorrow, knowing that we still got more work to do. We can, we can still push it and get, and get better. And we can do it the day after that. And we can do it the day after that. And eventually we run out of days, but until we run out of days, why should we run out of hope? I don't get that. I just don't get that. The potential future is the hope. Well, it can also be the despair that afflicts us all. The potential future is the hope or the despair that afflicts all of us. There's this thing called reflexive empathy. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It does bear repeating as many things do. If there were a test for empathy, I'm pegging the meter. I'm pegging the meter and it's a strength, but I've lived long enough to know that our strengths become our weakness. Our strengths do become our Achilles heel because as empathetic as I can be, I can sometimes, I can let that impact my own life too much. I, I, I sometimes have a, a real struggle in drawing that boundary. But there's this thing called reflexive empathy, and that is when you see somebody experiencing some emotional or physical trauma, you feel their pain, and you have a desire to relieve their suffering. I went hopping down this bunny trail some years ago because I was experiencing this. I found myself, and maybe, I don't know, can you relate to this? You see a stray dog and you think, well, I need to rescue that dog. Yeah. You know, not everybody feels that way, don't you? Yeah, I, I feel that way. But what about people? You can see people and reflexive empathy can kick in. Those of us that suffer it. And you not only, you kind of feel their pain, but you really, you really want to do something. You, you really want to, to alleviate, relieve their suffering. Yeah, I've, I've spent too much of my life in that pursuit. It took me a long, long time, but I finally had to learn, you know, you can't help everybody. In fact, I had to learn that I couldn't just help anybody. It was a long time. I would say within the last five to 10 years that I've had to learn, you know, you're just not the right person for the task for a long, long time. I had the attitude, you know, I mean, if, if, if somebody could be helped, well, I, I can help No, tap the brakes there slick. No, you can't. 
You might not be the right person for the task. You might not be the right person for them. I'm continually fascinated by people who think that we all have an obligation to be that somebody for everybody. It's just not, it's just simply not true. It's an absolute lie. Number one, it's pompous and it's arrogant. Number two, the focus is all placed. The emphasis is in the wrong place. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about whoever's going through whatever they're going through. But, you know, so many people want to step up and get in the limelight of, of being the hero. And just because you want to be the hero in the story doesn't mean that you're going to be the hero in the story. It takes experience and wisdom, at least it did for me, to figure that out. I can see somebody who may be struggling. I can see somebody who's going through something, and I can feel for them. But I've, I've now learned to take a step back and to look and go, in my head, I'm probably not the right person for them. I'm not the right person for them. I'm not the right person for them. Now I'm not the right person for this situation. I mean, some, I'm just not the right person all the time. Newsflash. Neither are you. I've gone on record that in my dozen years or so of professional coaching, I've had one count them one. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly saying it because it's a, it was a, in my book, it was a failure. One person that I was not able to help because he just absolutely would not let me closed off, non-responsive, non-communicative guarded. And over time I realized, you know, he's that way with everybody. Now I wrestled for a while. Does it mean nobody can help him? Well, I don't know. I just knew I couldn't. I knew I wasn't, I wasn't able. I, I tried as I might. I could not crack the code. I kept looking for the code. I don't know that there was a code. Then again, somebody reminded me, a good friend reminded me, you know, life isn't over and you got no way of knowing if you're helping or not. You might be helping him more than, you know, they said at the time, you know, here I am now I, I can live with it. Well, I mean, I have to, right? It's not my life. It's his life. You have your life. We can, we can live our life. OU Sooner Nation may have been very disappointed that Lincoln Riley, who was highly regarded, by the way, and he had he had accomplished some great things at Norman. Um, and people can feel about him however they want to feel. But here's a 30-some-odd-year-old guy who wanted to go to L.A., take his family out there. Okay. Okay. I mean, playing in that league is going to be far easier than playing – in the sec, which is where OU and Texas are headed here in a couple of years. Um, the path to the college football playoff, it could be argued is going to be infinitely easier in Southern California than it would be in Norman, Oklahoma. And by the way, he's really good at recruiting Southern California kids and come on, he can get in his car and travel around Southern California and recruit a really good roster. So there's that. Hey, power to him. You know, he's going to make a ton of money no matter where he goes and life will be, be grand. And, and by the way, OU has rebounded magnificently with some coaching staffers and some players and recruits, and it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. 
but one decision, one decision. And I don't mean this to put so much pressure on a single decision, because I know people that do that. I know people that suffer some paralysis because they put so much pressure on every decision and not every decision is that monumental, but some are, and maybe the conversation is worth having of how do you know? Well, I don't, I don't profess to have the answer for this. Some decisions that don't seem so significant in the time. Well, I'm thinking of moves and you think, well, making a move, that's a big deal. So a guy who decides to take his family from Norman, Oklahoma to LA, well, that's a big decision. Okay. Well, what are the next 20 years going to bear out? We don't know. Lincoln and his wife, they don't know. I moved my family from Oklahoma umpteen years ago from Oklahoma city to the Dallas Fort Worth area. I, we did it in very intently, very purposefully. The kids were very small. We had goals and dreams and desires and reasons. Most of those panned out, but not all of them. I can sit back and think, well, what if we hadn't done it? The things that didn't work out well, what if we would have stayed in Oklahoma? You know, you don't know. Here's the thing about these decisions. If you're one decision away from fixing everything, or on the flip side, if you're one decision away from wrecking everything, here's what we know. All of us know this. Whatever decision you made, you know, the outcome, at least up to this point, the outcomes are constantly unfolding though. Lincoln Riley, they feel one way about LA today. If he's still in LA 10 years from now, probably going to look different. We only know the outcome of the choices we made. This is where we get really messed up. We think we know the outcome of the choices and the decisions we did not make. And so in this game of what ifing, we rather enjoy what ifing, well, you know, what if we'd, if I'd have taken that job, then boy, it would have worked out magnificently as opposed to taking the job I took, which worked out okay, but maybe not so magnificent. You know, we tend to think that the thing that we didn't decide that would have worked out better. Or on the flip side, we could think, well, that thing that we didn't decide, man, that could have worked out way worse. Truth. We don't know. We have no way of knowing because we didn't make that choice. We made a different choice and we know the outcome of that one. This is where all the backseat driving and all the second guessing. I don't know. I, I just, it exhausts me. It exhausts me. Listen, I understand the game. I understand the imagination. We've all got it. And I'm a real fan of the whole what ifing thing. I'm more of a fan of what ifing in the moment. What ifing before I make the decision? Okay, so what if I decide this? What if I decide that? And we play these scenarios out in our head. It is our uniqueness as human beings. No other creature has this ability. We can put ourselves in these scenarios, oftentimes in scenarios that we've never been in before. Lincoln Riley has never, ever been the head coach at USC. He's only been the head coach at OU and for just five years. 
He thinks he knows what it will be. He has hopes of what that will be, but he doesn't know. Brent Venables has never, ever been a head coach, but he is now at OU. He's been a defensive coordinator. He's been a defensive coach for well over 25 years and a winning one, by the way. But he's never been the man. He's never been the number one. He has ideas. I can promise you he has very specific ideas of what this will be like. And in some cases, he's going to be right. That's what it's going to be like. But in other cases, he doesn't have a clue. <laughs> but he's going to learn. And the reason he's going to learn is the same way that you and I do. We're, we're going to lean on other people who can teach us some things and show us some things and warn us about some things. And I don't know about USC, but I know this about Norman, Oklahoma. He's got Barry Switzer. He's got Bob Stoops. He's got a lot of folks with a lot of legacy that, he can lean on Brent Venables and they can say, listen, when you get right here, here's where there might be a pitfall. Yes. It's a different era. Yes. Today's athletes are very different than the athletes that Barry Switzer recruited. Barry Switzer was not dealing with Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Well, Bob Stoops really wasn't either for that matter, but Brent Venables is. But it's learning. It's a decision. And it's one decision after another decision after another decision. It's not really just one decision. But here I've buried the lead as I want to do. What if you're one decision away from fixing everything? And what if that one decision is you just making up your mind? And what if that's the absolute truth? What if your whole life could change for the better if you could just make up your mind last night i watched there was about a 45 minute presentation i think this was in 2019 there was some kind of a nonprofit organization out in clemson and i think ripple of one i think was the i'll embed the video in the show notes at leaningtowardwisdom.com uh, it, it's, it's not the best video in the world. It's uh, Brent Venables did a, a perfectly fine job in telling his story. I, I was really disappointed in the audience. The audience didn't have a clue how to respond or react to him, but Brent Venables has a really compelling story. Father of three boys and a wife leaves, leaves the house when Brent is like two. Doesn't want to have anything to do with, with the family, a military guy. And they get shipped off to, you know, where, where, where do you want to go? Well, they end up in Salina, Kansas. They were in Florida, which is where Brent was born. And they end up getting shipped to Salina, Kansas, where they're able to stay for a period of time. But eventually military's like, okay, you're no longer attached to a serviceman. You're out. And they went to Salina because the closest family ties they had were in Nebraska. And it was just trying to get a little closer to home. Mom had a really hard time of it. Single mom, three boys, just juggling jobs and a lot of cigarettes, a lot of alcohol, a lot of bad choices in men who came into these boys' lives. And it was just one disaster after another disaster after another disaster. And 
anyway, 45 minutes of, of heart wrenching, gut wrenching story being told by Brent Venables about the way he, he grew up, but he made up his mind. This was not going to be his life. He was not going to, he talked about holidays and how important holidays were in his life. And every single holiday got wrecked by alcohol. The adults would get drunk and the whole thing had just come off the rails. And so here's a kid who he could have made many other choices, but he made wise choices. He made one decision that fixed everything. And that one decision was he changed his mind about the way his life was going to roll. He had an older brother whose demons caught up with him. He tells that story too. And he confesses to this crowd. He, he doesn't know why he doesn't know why he, he doesn't know why he overcame it necessarily. 10th grade. He had a football coach. First time he ever had a man in his life. Tell him that he loved him. Talk about an emotional moment. I could have smacked the crowd. They just didn't know how to respond to this crowd that should have just remained so quiet that you could hear a pin drop and you can tell there were too many people in the crowd that were just uncomfortable with it. 10th grade, 10th grade before a boy hears a man say, I love you. Well, no wonder it was a football coach. And as Paul Harvey would say, now, you know, the rest of the story, Brent Venables made one decision and the one decision he made that fixed everything was he made up his mind that he wanted to live a good life. He wanted to be a good human and he wanted to do what good humans do. He wanted to provide for his family. He wanted to love his family. He wanted to love the people that he was closest to, and he wanted to be a good human. What if you're one decision away from fixing everything? I don't know if you're one decision away or not, but I rather think all of us are. And I think we get wrapped around the axle thinking that that is a decision that pertains to a career. Maybe even a decision that pertains to health. You know, it's a decision that you've just got to make in your head, don't you? You know you're in greater control of your present and your future than maybe you've ever thought. And just because the past wasn't what it should have been, Brent Venables grew up with a really rotten childhood. A high school kid who admits he spent more time on the sofa in friends' homes than he did his own. Before his mom passed, he brought her 
home to Norman, Oklahoma, where he was a coach. And he moved her into his home. He and his wife nursed her and took care of her as she battled cancer and finally succumbed. And all along the way, he's making that one big decision to fix everything. I'm going to live my life as a good man. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to provide. And I'm going to try to get better every day. And I'm going to try to help the young men who enter my life. As football players, I'm going to try to help them get better every day. Every day, just a little bit better. I hope to do that. Hope I have done it in 2021. Rather committed to trying harder in 2022. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.